Thanks for listening to this episode of Fluff and Crunch. Today, Chris and I talk about Modiphius's Dishonored role-playing game, what we think about it, what we might take away from it for use elsewhere, and just general comments. Thanks for listening to Fluff and Crunch, where we talk about the connection and sometimes disconnect between system, setting, and story in tabletop RPGs. Okay, so today we're going to talk about the Dishonored role-playing game from Modiphius. Um, because this is one of those, uh, maybe call this like a B list or a C list title from Modiphius. Ooh, and both uh, of us have, both of us have read. Uh, but before we jump into that, what have you been up to for the last two weeks? Because I have been on vacation and we haven't recorded anything. I know that's what I'm trying to work out on the last time. Had I started my rave, my cat, what's it called? The Ravenloft one, Curse of Strahd. Had I no, started that when we last did it? So we did the first session of that and it was really, we really enjoyed it. And then good. annoyingly, we couldn't meet as a group last week. So I haven't had this really good first session. We then haven't done the second session yet. So that was really irritating. Um, and, then, and then, but me and Brian have managed another session of our, of our GM-less D&D game, which ended good. up just being a massive dungeon crawl. So, um, but that's yeah, so, just... I think that's so well suited to that because yes, so much you don't really need in the GM if you've got some random encounter tables and cards and things yeah, that like was, that. that was, that was literally, it. it's just it, the first couple of sessions where we kind of had a lot more, we didn't know what was going to happen. And there was very little combat. And there was a lot of role playing. That was good fun. Actually, that was the thing everyone said we really enjoyed about the, the curse of Australia that we basically did an entire session. And I think there was one combat and that one combat was a random encounter. And that was it. The whole rest of it was talking to characters and like things happening and the making decisions, but no actual, combat which for a D game was like that's that was weird yeah it was rare so that was, that was pretty cool neat how right you well you've been on holiday so i went on vacation <laughs> and i brought dishonored and some notebooks with me so i could sit on my cruise ship not mine but you know what i mean and my idea was <laughs> i was going to read it which i didn't uh and i was going to write ideas for some uh like homebrew type stuff using two die 20. i did that i wrote i wrote a decent amount of that um but i did not crack the cover of dishonored i read a crappy um airport thriller novel which is that's perfect for vacation that's what you're supposed to do and uh and now i feel refreshed and i'm i'm ready and our group's going to get together this weekend and pick up with some more octone cthulhu You've seen there's a new, uh, I'm not quite sure what it is. Is it like a, a written, a pre-written adventure or something? I've just it's seen like something It's like a campaign, advertised. a pre-war right. campaign. This like something of Atlantis or whatever. Yeah. It has yeah. nice art. I haven't looked at it at all. It just looked, it was like, ooh, pretty. Yeah, yeah I didn't. it does look neat. I'm getting better at not just buying everything they release because that's how I end up with this. That's what, hey, hey, now. Okay, so we're going to talk about Dishonored. Now, this is, uh, physically, this is, there's, this is an interesting book because what would you call this? Is this like digest size or whatever? Like I, what? I would call it, it doesn't go nicely know, with the rest of my before. 2D20 stuff on my shelf. That's what I would call it. It's I didn't know than... it was going to be, yeah. I, I, maybe they did say it was going to be this big. Maybe they did say, yeah, digest size, I think it would work. But I didn't realize. So like when I got the PDFs, having pre-ordered, I was like, huh. This is odd. These, these are a funny shape. Yeah. 
at least then I knew that the book was going to be smaller because you can tell from the PDF, obviously. But yeah, it's like, a yeah. The, it, it's smaller. It's like a, if a paperback and a regular RPG book had a kid. Uh, and it's just over 300 pages. And uh, the font size is normal, single column. So I don't know, 310 pages, if you were to stretch this out to a larger book, and have two columns. I don't know how many pages. I, I don't know what the adjustment would be, um, but you, you're not getting as. I know that you're not getting as much text as you would from a 300-page um, standard RPG-sized book. But what what do we know about this? Um, I I know virtually nothing about this as a call it as a property. Forget about it as a game. But as a property, this thing called Dishonored and these funky looking people on the front with like Cobra Commander outfits and, <laughs> and yeah. strange looking um, masks and like odd Bobby helmets. I was I was genuinely I was genuinely surprised that they turned this into a something. Because if you look at the other the ones they didn't, so they done Fallout, but like Fallout's a big deal. You know, Fallout's yep. been going on like 20 years and there's multiple games and like particularly yep. Fallout 3 and 4 lot are of massive and then there's like an online. But that was you know that's yeah that's that's like a big setting and obviously most of the other you know they've taken john carter and conan which are very old properties which they've taken you know old books and and then made it and then we've got you know star trek which is you know one of the biggest sort of properties out there um so then to take dishonored which literally has has two games really there's literally there is dishonored one and dishonored two and there's a spin-off off dishonored two and that's it. And they're both single player okay. sort of stealth games. And that's it. You know, they have, in both of them are games where you are sneaking around, um, sort of you're breaking into places, st- stealing the odd thing here. It's like, you know, sometimes you'll be stealing stuff. Sometimes you might be assassinating one person, but mostly it's stealth. You are not trying to kill everyone. You're, you're actively trying not to kill everyone. Um, because anytime you get into a situation in the game where you're fighting like a lot of people at a time, probably you're going to die it's, it's designed yeah. around trying to be sneaky you know only picking off people from behind or from the shadows but you have sort of sort of magic ish powers um and i've played bits of both of the games and they're you know they're, they're pretty cool they have like it's an interesting world um the, the games play well um but it's an odd choice for a game because both of them are very much like mm. you are by yourself they are very much even in ones where maybe you know you have allies in the games that you are you know they're really single player games and there's only two games so to turn that into a role playing game was a yeah and I, like i said i choice. i don't i don't play any video games um aside from like tetris and tempest on my arcade cabinet that those don't count so i i've got nothing on this so when I looked at it and I read a little bit about like the world of Dishonored and I read there's a decent amount of background information in the book itself, which I've been trying to make sense of. Now you tell me because you said you've played the video games. When I look at this, I think of the city of Dunwall. It sounds like a it sounds like grubby Victorian era London with some Sherlock Holmes yeah. vibe sprinkled on it and a little bit of a steampunky vibe sprinkled on it and a lot of um yeah i don't know i it almost seems like there's a there's a dose of like vampire the masquerade style moodiness and brooding and lots of pictures of people with their hands crossed in front of them and they're either looking down 
you know, they've got their chin angled down and their eyes angled up or their chin angled up and their eyes angled down at you. Like those kinds of very um, like stylized pictures that that are meant to evoke this kind of brooding, dark, gritty, urban, intrigue-laden vibe. That's what I keep getting from it. Is that, does that sound remotely? Yeah, I'm considering. Okay. No, it sounds exactly right. Because uh, considering you haven't played the games then, that's one thing we can say, well, they've done a good job good. then of getting that world across. Um, because that, that's exactly how I describe it. It's, it's like, it's not, you know, it's not fully Victorian, you know, it's not industrial age. Um, and it's not really steampunk. It's kind of, you know, but it's that, it's that kind of vibe. It's, it's certainly, you know, it's not medieval. It's past Renaissance. So it's kind of that period between Renaissance between renaissance and uh, and sort of like you know the industrial era where you know so it's maybe pre-industrial but then you have this weird kind of you know they get these energy sources out of killing these giant whale things so i think they call it like whale punk or something at some point which is a bit which is a bit weird so yeah but that's that's exactly what it's like the, the games are always it's always dark like there's never there's like barely ever sunshine it's always like it's dark it's moody um it has that the, the victorian era vibe going to it the kind of gaslight kind of thing so it's like it's like charles dickens yeah so yeah it's kind of like if you're like a, a gaslight tile yeah. thing yeah i mean that was part of the reason i got it like you know like i said i haven't played the games a huge amount but because in because it was kind of like oh it's more assassiny that's that's different to all of the other games we had you know it's not a conan where you can kill everyone it's not john carter where you got that um and the characters didn't have these kind of weird supernatural semi superpowers so kind of my thing was like right you know, this is our first look at a game where, you know, it's not superheroes. You're not, you know, leaping tall buildings with a single bat. But, you know, like short-range teleports and disappearing into the shadows and mind controlling people. It's that kind of, you know, it's the kind of superpowers that are useful in a stealth game. Um, and I was like, oh, this might be a cool implementation of a 2D20 system where, uh, you know, I wasn't worried about the setting. I was like, oh, you know, you'll have these cool powers that you'll be able to do. Um, you know, the combat system might be really interesting and it might be a different spin on, on kind of how things work. Um, yeah, I think there are there are a couple of really standoutish bits of it to me. Putting aside the setting, and I think that although I mean we can't entirely, I, I think that they did some really neat, like as Modiphius always does. And I don't want to sound like a like slobbering fanboy, but I really like how each of the properties that I'm familiar with, it feels like the tweaks to the system are made to fit. The, the the tropes and the demands of the setting and i think they do a very nice job of that here like you talk about this is about stealth and how i mean it, uh, there's a rule in here when you kill an opponent that generates chaos which is threat so if you yeah. kill some if you kill an opponent the gm gets threat automatically um whereas if you want to subdue an opponent it becomes more difficult um but then you don't give your your gm threat and i like I like that kind of um, I like that mechanical expression of something that you know is is stated like, hey, this is what the setting is all about. But there's actually something that underpins it um, mechanically. I think that's that's neat. And the magic, the void powers, as they they call them, they're certainly not like D and D style, you know, where there's lots of powers doing lots of things. Um, but they are they're interesting. They're useful, and um, and again, the the types of things that a character can do, it, I agree. It fits, um, it fits the stated 
vibe. I'd like to look at, and tell me, you know, if you want to go another direction, but I'd like to look at some of the most significant differences, because there are several, yeah. between this and the other, some of the other properties we've talked about over time. I think there's two. There's, there's, there's quite a lot. I mean, literally, the, yeah. the basic dice mechanism is still the same. You still roll sure. 2d20. If you want to roll more dice, you still spend momentum or you spend the GM currency, which in this case is called chaos. Um, and like you said, this is- And those the, all work the same way. Yeah. And other, you, know, yeah. you still generate momentum by beating your difficulty numbers. Um, and there's this one extra way of generating the chaos thing now by- you know, by like you said, by killing me. And that was the one thing I went and read the rules, and I was like, that that's really cool. That's a really that's a clever way of doing it. Yeah, in the game, you're not meant to kill everyone left, right, and center. So in this game, if you run around killing everyone, then there's a consequence to it. And I was like, yeah, that's that's clever. Um, it does introduce truths as well, which I think because I know you said like truths are in the um Star Trek, but they're not called truths in Star Trek, are they? I think they're called like values or something, and they're kind of it's kind of odd. They, there are there are um, there are traits yeah. for, for scenes or settings, and then you've got values as a as a character. Um, and in some of the other the newer systems, it's like they've mushed those two together. Yeah. And I actually think it works. Those, you know, I, I actually think that the way that they describe truths and how to adjudicate them is is handy. They talk about yeah. how like. Because I am a blank character truth, this action is like easier, harder, possible, impossible. Or because the blank, like this thing is so, then this action is harder, yeah. easier, possible, impossible. I like how they tie the truths to activity. Yeah. So it's not just an adjective. You know what I mean? It's not just like, yeah. oh, it's dark here. Well, I mean, because it can be it's dark. Anything. Yeah. Say again. I say that, but the truth can be anything, can't they? They can be assigned to a character, or you're injured, or it's a it's a thing in the location. It's you know, um, and that's what's that's what's clear. Yeah. I think that this is the first place they did it. We've seen it since, like it's in it's in Fallout, it's in Axe Cthulhu, it's in June. I assume it will be in Homeworld, which I should know because I have the PDF, but I keep forgetting to read it. Um, but this was the first place they kind of, to my knowledge, that they called it truth, and they kind of like solidified and they've kind of carried on with that same thing since then um so that was different when they put it in here but since then they've used it in all the other ones most of the rest of the a lot of the rest of the rules like you said there is a lot of differences between yeah dishonored and the other ones for all the other ones well one of the things that jumped out at me most is the fact that there are no challenge dice yep you're not you I mean much like uh like dune you're not using the challenge dice and like John Carter, which uses challenge dice, weapons have fixed damage amounts. Yeah. So like a, a weapon does, you know, one or two or whatever, and then you apply that against a um, a stress track in most cases. But yeah, no challenge dice. Um, and well, I guess, you know, if you, I, I don't know, I'm kind of. Well, I mean, part of the reason that this has got no challenge dice is that I think this kind of implied, but you know, different monsters will vary. But a lot of enemies, you don't even, they don't have the stress track. They just, if you hit someone, you succeed, you, right. you kill them or you subdue them. So it's only like bigger NPCs that would even have yeah, a like stress your, track. Your nemesis level yeah. do. And it's the same so a, for like the character. You don't have a huge stress track. I mean, like it says in the thing, your stress track is your survival skill 
plus if you've got armor so you might only have like four or five points of stress yourself so luckily when you only take one or two points of damage on a hit um that's fine um so that makes sense something i found fascinating though in the description of that is it's vague on uh on how much more damage you can do with momentum i don't think you can no it i think you let me look uh i think you can but it it's not clear uh so when you go into combat it says damage this is on page 43 it says you'll see that all weapons and reaps that have a damage value this is when you use the damage value blah 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 blah, blah. sorry blah 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 um so there's nothing there that implies no maybe not that you could that yeah. was one of my first thought i mean let me go so if you go spend momentum there are only three things you can buy d20s you can create truth you can ask a question True. you cannot add to your damage now i can't remember okay. off the top of my head but i'm pretty sure in june that is the case is that in june if you get you guys I, I, I could be wrong but i would have thought in june you can spend momentum all of the ones with combat dice obviously you do spend momentum oh, to do sense. either yeah. extra dice or extra damage but in this you don't so your momentum is purely like that's where you have a slightly weird thing if in a combat situation you roll you get a really good hit that really good hit lets you generate momentum for your next action or your friend's next action but it, it can't be used to up the damage so if you get an it, amazing roll you're not doing any more damage with that which it is, can be used though and maybe this is their maybe this is their hope to make this a more narrative game yeah the you because establishing truths using momentum requires that the truth is established in conjunction with a roll okay so if you roll and you're fabulously successful on that combat roll well you only do a fixed amount of damage and if we're reading it rules as written you can't add damage to it with momentum but you could spend two momentum and establish a truth like you i knocked him over yeah because there's nothing like that. They're they're like the crunchy bits of the multiple different kinds of momentum spends, especially like in Conan or Infinity. Nothing. There's nothing like that in this game. So that I think falls all the way back to open-ended creativity and the subjective side of truths. You okay? I'm going to spend these two momentum, and I knocked you over, and you dropped your weapon in the process. So be and then in keeping with their that um that language of using truce because you are prone and unarmed you know maybe it's yeah. easy for me to hit you next or something like that yeah so i i suppose it could be done you you could do it that way well that would work i mean like i said when you take damage you can choose to reduce the damage you take to one for taking a truth so you would essentially take a wounded truth to only take one of your one damage on your stress yeah. tax so you can stay in the fight longer then things will get harder because you have a wounded truth or you know like you said disarmed or whatever else is um, but i think it, it for i i my sense is that for an inexperienced gamer this could be it, it, if someone is naturally more of an initiative taker and more of a creative thinker and they don't need to be prompted this might work but for someone who's used to like okay what are my options yeah. And they want to see a table like in Conan of like, <laughs> here are all the things I can do. And then maybe that maybe they'll stick to that. Or maybe they're the sort who once presented with a bunch of options will say, well, could I do this too? They're inspired by those options. That kind of player might feel like, what do, what do I do? You know, what, you know? Yeah. I mean, I think that's kind of, it's them kind of leaning more into the idea is, is that, you know, this is not a and d style. There's four players mm. all fighting off against four bad guys. This would be more about, there's a guard, you take that guard out and you just move straight on. 
and you can take them out in one hit. And then it's about the the sneaking around and, and some other things. Um, The, The thing that jumps out at me, aside from the fact, no challenge dice and the, the, simultaneously limited but also potentially open-ended through truth's use of momentum is the i'm looking at the character sheet looking at the character sheet at the back of the book Mm -hmm. and the the stats for characters this is where i feel like this this game is far closer to dune than any of the other yeah um so if you're not familiar with this you you will have six skills and six what are called styles and the skills are like, they're kind of like the disciplines in Star Trek Adventures. They're really broad. You have fight, move, study, survive, talk, and tinker. I kind of like those. Yeah, I do. And I was thinking about this when I was on my cruise writing things. I, I thought that games that rely on broad categories of skills, I think they assume a high base level of competence by the character. Yeah. The more fine sliced thinly sliced you you take skills the more you create holes where people won't have a character won't have a skill and the more you create opportunity for narrow depth but really vague skills like talk that assumes like kind of like john carter it assumes like a high level of competence across the board i i I like this i like I like any game that's, you know, when it's trying to be slightly more narrative, the fact that there's only a number of skills um, is cool. And I like the fact they've got the style. You know, I've seen that in other places I've seen this, it's not called styles, we've called approaches. The first place I saw anything like this was in the, the Fate Accelerated thing, where instead of having a huge bunch of skills that Fate has, it only has six approaches. And they're basically this, I mean, if they're not these, they're super similar to these six names. Um, and like one of the suggestions in cortex of a thing you can do is to have like, again, approaches like this. So styles that we've got what boldly, carefully, cleverly, forcefully, quietly, swiftly. These are about how you are doing something as opposed to, you know, what you are doing, which is quite cool. I mean, you get a problem there that the characters will always be trying to obviously use their best thing, but obviously certain won't work. So if you're trying to be stealthy, well, you're going to have to be doing it quietly. Um, so you know, that, that, that leads into it'll be difficult when you're trying to do certain, th- you know, you, at certain times you're going to have to do something a particular way, but the PCs might try to always do. But that's always the problem you have the approach thing. But I think that's why when I've seen games where you only have approaches, I think you have a massive issue there. I think if you've got a combination here of skills and the, um, they call it styles, but I just always think of it as approaches because that's how I saw it first. Um, I think, I think that's a, you know, it's a decent system. It's relatively narrative. You'll get different characters. Um, and straight away, you've got a thing that tells your character what you're good at doing and how your character likes to do things, which is, again, it was backing up the narrative of the game as well as the, the mechanical aspect. Um, and, I, and I like that. It's, you know, certainly better than I, I never liked John Carter. You only have five stats and you have to add two stats together. And a lot of the time it just felt forced which two you were adding together. Um, this is, I think it's a lot more, you know, it all makes sense in play how you're doing that. So I thought that was, when I saw that, I was like, I like that. That's cool. That's nice touch. And I like the fact also that they're adding on to this in, in terms of like what things what things factor into your roles. It's your skills, your styles, and then focuses. And focuses work just like in other Modiphius systems. However, each focus has uh, is rated from two to five. 
Obviously, you wouldn't have a yeah. focus of one because rolling a one always gives you two successes, so there's no point in that. But I like how you you can still have focuses that are flexible in implementation. They're not they're not tied to one skill. They can like much like Star Trek Adventures, they can they can fit anywhere. Now, the issue that I have though, um, styles is really interesting to me. I like the idea of you putting numbers. And that these numbers all run, your skills and your styles all run from four to eight. Putting numbers to things that express like how, like how is my character more bold, careful, clever, forceful, quiet, or swift? I, I like the idea of that. I don't like the idea of that and skills only. Like I actually think that it would be, and this is one of the things I, I beat on in my notebook last week. I couldn't make any sense of, but. I thought about it. Like, what if you had a more <laughs> traditional attribute, like start like the, like all their other games, pretty much, except for Dune, and you had skills, mm. but then you also had styles, and maybe you wouldn't pick. Maybe you wouldn't have numbers in all of those styles. Um, and I don't know how that would work, but like the idea that hey, you know, my character, if if your your highest number is in uh, cleverly, although yeah, is in cleverly, like you're a clever character. Well, you know, that could help you in some situations. It might not help you in others. Um, but I don't, I don't like, and this is, this is kind of like, um, how I'm, I'm really iffy on drives in Dune. I, I'm putting styles. I like them better than drives, but the idea of them and skills being those, those are the two ingredients for your roles. Um, mm. I don't know it it something about it i think like in practice the idea of saying well my my character is like really bold and really you know, if you put your biggest numbers in that and like bold and quiet okay well that's fine you could be bold in some circumstances and really quiet in other circumstances that's now that talks about how you do things but it doesn't actually say anything about you like objectively as a character and i, I don't know i i i, I I can't quite put my finger or my thumb on it to say this is this is why but like I'd like to know like how strong is your character because I don't care how bold you are if you're like a 98 pound weakling yeah you're gonna get your butt handed to you I think it, it it's one of those things it's like it's it's the same as the values thing it's when you're playing narrative games you know this this thing becomes oh well it doesn't matter about your attributes. And a lot of the time, when, when some people like, will have that kind of argument, the thing they will point out was a lot of the time attributes sure. and skills overlap. Now, you'll have a character who's got intelligence, but then they've also got like a knowledge skill. Well, that, that could be the same. You know, why, why does this character have a perception skill and they also have like a senses attribute? Why do they have persuasion and deception, but they also have charisma? So a lot of the time you do see systems where actually your attributes and your skills overlap so much having both of them is pointless okay you're just doubling up on certain things but then that's about your choice of your attributes and your skills yeah. so it's a different thing that's why i mean the focus in here works quite well so. um yeah so i i like it as a as a different idea just like you know values you can see how it can work and in a particular kind of with a particular group and in a particular kind of system um or a particular kind of narrative game i like the fact that styles is a bit different and i like kind of how values can be different I've found because I'm just more used to traditional, like if I'm not playing D&D &D, where you've kind of got like, you know, your skills are built on top of, you know, and they're not, 
you know, they're built on particular stats kind of things. So it's different. You know, when you've the classic kind of game other than D and D stuff is you yeah. you have attribute plus skill. That's what you see almost everywhere. Attribute plus skill. So when we see these slightly different ones, I'm always kind of like, well, kind of this sure if it ain't broke, don't fix it, kind of thing. You know, it's like that that's worked for a long time. And the need for people to go like, no, we're gonna do something different, you know. We're gonna do stuff, we're gonna do these styles. Like you said, we're gonna have drives in things. Um, I, it's one of the things I'd, I'd do it in play and see, see how well it works. And I think for this particular system, I think, I think, cause it's a very, you know, you are trying to be sneaky with the odd bit of combat and, and, and kind of that. Um, and all of the characters kind of tend to follow a more, I mean, essentially you're doing very similar stuff to what that, um, that blades in the dark system would do. I think styles would work that as an interesting idea. And I, you know, I'd like to see it in play. I just, I know it has issues because like we said, you've got a character that's like, well, I'm always going to be cleverly. I cleverly attack. I cleverly open the door. I cleverly sneak through the room. Um, and it'd be really difficult to uh, to kind of say to that player, well, you can't, because surely clever will always work. The, you know, there's definitely been times when you can't. You, you know, you're not going to be able to boldly, you know, boldly open in a pick a lock doesn't make any sense i'm going to boldly pickpocket someone it's like what you're going to do it so everybody notices you're doing it boldly picking pockets it's called a mugging yeah so you can see the situations where you know characters would have to go you're like well no you're doing this you're going to have to do it quietly but see this is where this is where i think that a modification of the truth system would be would be more effective like you could you could have those six things or something like them as as truths that everybody takes maybe two of yeah, and, and call them inclinations. Like your character is inclined toward these kinds of behaviors. And sometimes being quiet might not be a good idea. Yeah. Sometimes being bold or forceful might not be a good idea. And so I like the idea of, of a thing being um, advantageous in some situations, but the exact same personality trait or inclination you could create challenges for you in different circumstances and i think that you're right about uh some of these where someone's gonna say well i'm gonna i'm gonna boldly do this because because i'm just gonna step right up there and do it what it it seems to me is that much like dune in my experience in running it at least you end up having a lot of what seems like shaggy dog justification for always turning to the same thing like i'm gonna cleverly pick the lock because it's my highest style you know and i I, i'm going to cleverly conduct this investigation i'm going to cleverly climb the rope i'm going to you know yeah uh, so i i think that i like those as i like those as descriptive variables i don't like them as stats yeah i think i think the the justification comes into like oh well if you're playing a very narrative game and everyone's just telling the story and they say i want to do such and stuff and you say well okay well that sounds like you're doing it and you, you know, the GM would tell the player, but even right. then, the player can always pitch it the way they want. You know, so it has to be that. It has to be the GM saying to the player, "Well, I think you're doing it this way," um, but then that's taken away. So, yeah, it. At the end of the day, skill plus stat just avoids those arguments straight sure. off. But the argument is, well, do you need skill plus stat? Then, in which case, you could just have skills. Um, I mean, when you look at the, you know, there's some that, and that's why one thing I do like is that is what you actually have, like you said in. Um, in, in Star Trek, where you do have, you know, the attributes do not match up with, because the discipline, they are totally different things. 
they, right. they you know they 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 don't they don't really overlap you can have them and so that's that was a really cool way and that's why it worked really well for star trek um skill plus that some of the other situ- situations doesn't work as well because you actually kind of get a thing where you're you know like where they put the skills underneath the stats and you think well the stats do more of the work well, and then they become the, there's this implication, or maybe it's explicit in the rules that those are married to to one another. Yeah. That is a, that's a, an immutable relationship. I like the flexibility of Star Trek Adventures. Yes, I like the flexibility of Octum Cthulhu, where you just say, well, you know, I'm going to use my reason in fighting to determine like what style of fighting he's using. You know, why not? Like he, that that just makes sense, and I like the 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 modularity of whatever you want to call it, the flexibility of focuses, which like are like Star Trek yeah. adventures in this. Now, the other thing though, there's one big thing about this game that I like that I'm going to steal. And that's the tracks. I kind of dig the tracks because that's introduced in a slightly more complicated form in the Octane Cthulhu GM's guide. They have that like consequence track. Yeah. But Dishonored presents several different kinds of tracks, which could either be like a stress track. Um, you are trying to a player is trying to gather successes so as to achieve something, or they are trying to their failures end up getting banked. Yeah, to result in a consequence. Like you could have a stealth track, and as you're sneaking around, your failures go ahead and start filling up the stealth track. And when you fail enough times or you have enough complications or both, then you get found out. And I, that's mentioned in Octane Cthulhu's GM's guide. It's just, I think it's actually a little cleaner in this. It's, it's, uh, it's really simple. So I, I like those. And they, what is, they have stealth, intrigue. What else is there? Um, I mean, they kind of, there's a page where they mention a bunch of them, but then they all reference to other pages. But I think they kind right. of could have done with more explanation but as an idea it works fine it's kind of bits which are sort of hinted at sort of in some of the other 2d20 games this like you said they're spelled out a bit better here but it is a it's a good idea which you can yeah they they mentioned stealth intrigue reputation and progress progress obviously just just generic yeah and that's on page uh 39 and yeah i mean in terms of it being just a a simple mechanic you know you would determine this the 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 maximum uh rating on the track and then just and it, although it's funny um here's a here's an editing issue somebody missed this uh because they talk about the track how in on one page they explicitly say that a failure would add two to a, a like a negative track and a complication would add one and like two or three pages later they say the complete <laughs> opposite that a complication adds two and a failure adds only one uh, and I suppose momentum could add more. It does say that momentum could add more. You could use those, but it doesn't say whether that's repeatable or not. I'm going to assume it's not, since repeatable is not even a concept that's mentioned yeah. in relation to momentum sense. here. Um, and I suppose the GM could use chaos threat in the same manner. But I do think the idea of hey, you know, like you could you could simplify a negotiation by setting a, a number to it and having some a couple of roles and this could account for complications or successes and just depending on how you want to take it is this something you're trying to achieve or something you're trying to avoid and uh and i think that that could be that could be implemented in any of these games i i, I 
it's something I'm going to think about. It's something I'm going to try to um, to figure out ways to use, like in Octone Cthulhu in the short term, just for simple things. And I think stealth is going to be the the first of them. Like you need to get from A to B and not get noticed. Yeah. Well, what's going to get you noticed? And then I'll make it like a consequence track. It's just a little simpler. So I like that. Yeah, I think that that track idea is, is good. Like you said, it's also popped up in Octone Cthulhu now. So it's it's it was a nice little, and it, it kind of matches the game as well like if you keep getting you know kind of the stealth kind of games where people see you and they'll have a little bar pop up about your head and then you know that you're in trouble kind of thing so it, it replicates that as well so that was that's quite yeah. cool what else about it because a, a, a good chunk of the book is just uh it's information about the city of dunwall and the different groups and factions which frankly as i started reading that just flew right over my head because i felt like i felt like i had no strong grasp on the story yeah so to even plug those things in i'll, I'll pick up well just keep start. um in terms of rules like the only other kind of bit in here for rules there's a tiny section on comp on like equipment but really the comp because the equipment is like you know it, it, things to either do sort of one two or three damage there's not a lot to it so there's not really a lot of equipment there's a couple of them like gadgets there is the section on powers and that was the bit i was like yes powers and it's it's going to, you know, explain how these different powers work, and it's going to. But each power is kind of like a paragraph, basically saying, "Well, this power does this," um, and you have this mana you can spend yep. to do it, which it tells you how much like mana you've got, which is which is not a lot. Um, but it does much like stress; it it regenerates at the beginning of a new scene. Yeah, but you get you get to do so one, two, three, you get four. You get sort of four and a half pages. I reckon it's probably around twenty powers which sounds like a lot, but basically they've taken the stuff out of sort of Dishonored 1, 2 and, and the add-on. And, and that was it. I was hoping, you know, there was going to be a load more powers that they had made up, like, you know, similar kind of ideas, like low-key kind of, you know, I can disappear in shadows or I can teleport from one point to another or I can mind control people or I, I link people together so when I hurt one, the other one gets hurt as well. And they've kind of not really done a huge amount beyond that. But this is where this is where you'll start seeing rule issues. So for start to even work out how you get these powers, you have to look very carefully at the character creation section. When you create the characters, you you get some stats, to, you get like your stats for your, your uh, skills, and you get your stats for your styles, and then you pick a, what is it called? Background discipline. It's basically like a job. You Essentially, you pick a, you pick a job for your character, which kind of tells you what kind of what you are. You know, are you an assassin or are you, you know, a duelist? And these are the kind of cool things you got. Um, are oh, they called archetypes? So you, you pick your archetypes, um, yep. and then that gives you stuff. Now it tells you then, like just literally just before the archetype thing, you know, instead of taking a talent for your archetype, you can take the outsider's mark. That will let you. That will let you get powers. You're, All right, cool. So then you go to the outsider's mark in the uh, in the void in the actually the into the void with the powers thing, and it tells you uh, in Dishonored you can bear the outsider's mark and gain access to unnatural talents. Oh, that sounds great. With the GM's permission, you select the talent, the outsider's mark, and selecting one of the talents to the start. Right. When you select this talent, you and the GM will determine a selection ability, six powers and six enhancements. Um, so enhancements, think off the top of my head, are sort of things that make powers. Oh, absolutely enhancements. So when I said there was twenty powers, that's a mixture of powers and enhancements. So yeah. like powers are like sort of things you do, and enhancements are things that you like you like says it unlike powers enhancements are always active so they're just always work you don't have to spend power to do um and you choose six powers and six enhancements which basically means you get the vast majority of them 
It says you only get one of those immediately at the start of, as part of the talent. Okay, so you start with one ability. This power must have a cost of learn more than two routes. All right, fine. So you think, well, how do I get extra powers? Is it when I level up and stuff? And the book basically says um, you have to find runes. And all it, these runes have little significance by themselves. Blah, 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 in the possession of those. So this is kind of like world building stuff. It's not got rules here. Runes are rare, okay? It's still not telling me. Every power and enhancement can be acquired by aligning your mark with a runes inscription, a process that takes a few minutes. All right, wonderful. So where, where do you get runes? How do you get more of them? Uh, and there's only one other reference in the entire book to runes at all, um, which I've memorized from earlier, which is the section under charms and runes, which under spend and experience, which says, you may be inclined to seek supernatural advantages. Nope. Uh, and then you look through the rest of that, look, nothing. There is yeah. no mention in the entirety of the rest of the book, including the GM section, which I will come back to the GM section later, on runes. It doesn't tell you how you get them, how much you know, X, you know, should, should you be I getting wonder... them at certain levels? Are you meant to find them? The problem is in the game, as you're playing, you find these runes. And when you find the runes, that levels up your abilities. But there's nothing in the rule book that kind of explains to either the player or the GM, should you be finding these? You know, how much, you know, nothing, nothing along the lines of, you know, per session or related right. to XP or perhaps, anything. There's just nothing. Perhaps the assumption from the designers is that you will come to this game because you played the video game. Yeah. And because, and you will play it with people who played the video game. And because you did, you will all have an understanding of, that'll turn into a shared understanding of what works and how things work in, uh, in this world and in this city. And I, maybe that's it. Because the, the trouble is coming to it from this game to the setting rather than from the video game to this game to back to the setting is that I have I'm with you. I, yeah. I have no idea. But maybe after playing it, like you you'd have a shared kind of intuitive sense of like, oh, this is how often that happened in the video game. This is how often it'll happen at the table. Yeah. Maybe I, that was it. I think straight away well, you got another problem that the game is designed, like I said, it's a primarily single one on, you know, one player yep. game. Now, generally, role playing games I play with a party. If you've got a bunch of players, because, you know, they've all played the video game and they all want to have powers. Cool. At some point in the game, you're going to find a rune. Every single one of those players wants that rune because they all need two runes to learn their next power. Uh huh. Who get? I mean, that's why maybe you get some, that's how you get some into party conflict because they all start killing each other trying to get Could the rune. Be. Um, or they all get to use the same rune because again, this, it's not explained at literally what there's only two places in the book where it mentions the runes based on the index. And in one of those two places, it actually doesn't say anything about runes other than it says, it says charms and runes doesn't explain how the runes work. And the well, other, they are, they are coming out with another book for this. Yes. I don't know what though. Well, we'll, we'll get to that. <laughs> um, so that that was and that was the thing that crushed me on this game because I I read through it. I like the okay, you know, the combat's it's much quicker, the rules are much more streamlined and simple. Okay, they've expelled out truths, cool. Um, the character creation is super straightforward. You know, you can knock up a character in yeah. like, I don't know, five minutes, super quick. Um, but the thing I was really got this book for was the power section. And the power section was not only sorely lacking, the rules are kind of almost non-existent. So I was disappointed when I first looked at it. Um, and then I kind of put the book down and I didn't look at it again for ages because I was like, I don't know it, does, do it, it doesn't have the thing I want. And then I came back to look at this book because I decided I was going to run um, something not 
not this, but something that was slim to that. I was going to run something similar to like a time traveling Assassin's Creed game. And I was like, Dishonored deals with assassins. Yeah. There will be stuff in the book about sort of playing assassin characters. Cool. And so I, you know, I, I flick through all the back stuff. I, like, I didn't need any of the stuff at the back. I mean, you know, at the back of the book, there is, like you said, there's a load of stuff on the world. There's a load of baddies, but you know, the baddies in this, the stats are so simple. You can knock things up easily anyway. Um, there is a lot of description for, there's a lot of description for the, what the world is like in terms of what is there. What they, and this is kind of what you were hinting at. There isn't a lot of description for what, what has happened and when, you know, we, we could have done with a, like a clearer timeline. There's a lot of things to talk about. There, there is a timeline. There is a couple page timeline, but I, I just, it was hard for me to make sense of it. It would be like handing someone, let's say there's someone out there who knows nothing about, I'm not going to pick on Latvia, um, but someone who knows nothing about Latvian history, like the last 500 years of Latvian history, and they're handed a Harvard outline. Of yeah. that just lists like tick, 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 name date name date name date name date noun of Latvian history for the last five centuries. You you would walk away with a. It, I think it'd be very difficult to wrap your head around like, okay, what's the deal with Latvian history yeah. for the last five centuries? Because I just have these seemingly disjointed factoids. That's where I had trouble. Yeah, like I said, there's like sort of three page of these events. It's, I mean, it's kind of how the rest of the section plays out. There's lots of things like here is a location. Here's some hooks for this location. Here's yeah. a faction. Here's some hooks for this faction. But it all kind of feels like it's there, but none of it links together very well. So just reading through it, I found it like very hard to work out. What's doing. But anyway, like I said, I wasn't really looking at that. But I think if you were actually wanting, if like you said, you've come from the games, you probably have a much better idea of piecing all this together. If you're coming fresh to this, which seems unlikely, you're going to struggle with. But I came to, right, I wanted something that was going to let me do assassination. So I skipped past all of the, uh, the world stuff. And I was like, I'll go and look at the G in the GM section based on the fact that this is a game about, you know, sneaking into places and either stealing things or assassinating things um, and kind of like cool intrigue and stuff. There will be loads and loads of rules in the GM section about how right. to run a stealthy heist assassination game. So I looked at the GM section, Games Mastering 101. Oh, great. Never read that before. Um, uh, one of these classic let the players be awesome thing that we've got from the apocalypse world, you know, be a fan of your player stuff. Oh, and an X card thing. I'm not going to talk about X card. I'm just, no, just, if you know the, P yeah, never mind. Yeah. I'm just, just, I'm not going to talk about it. Check please. Yeah. Um, so, okay. Basic. Well, what, what used to be the basic role player, the GM and stuff, and then the new GM stuff, but still nothing with that. Right. Running scenes. Okay. Now I can run a scene. I can do that. Scene framing tricks. Uh, okay, yeah, I've seen it before, but it's nice, right? Playing things out, yep, fine. It's got mention of success, card. right? Expanding the gameplay. We have a bit of rule here about chaos, okay, cool. Little bit of rule about momentum, uh, half a page about void, right? Experience points. That's the end of the chapter, yeah. Uh, th there's nothing in here that tells me how to plan or, or how to plan a, an adventure which deals with a heist or an assassination or breaking an entrance. Um, there's nothing, there's nothing, there's no advice for the GM at all. So I was like, well, I wanted a thing which was going to explain like, you know, how big should my chaos track be? And, you know, what kind of different skill challenges should I put in the way of players getting to a thing? Now I'm an experienced GM. I could probably come up with that. But the reason I went to this system, I was like, this is a system about stealth and assassinations and heists. 
there will be loads of advice for creating adventure for that kind of thing. Because that kind yeah. of stuff does not exist in a lot of role-playing games. You know, loads of role-playing games tell you how to, you know, kick down doors and kill the monsters, um, but they're not great at, you know, how to set up a heist. And it doesn't have it. There's, there's nothing. There yeah. is that, that GM section is, was completely useless to me. So the, the two times I've gone to that book looking for something particular, um, it didn't have what I wanted. Now, like you've it's just hard. said, go on. It's hard because I like those, you know, the, the, how to be a GM, GMing 101, those kinds of sections. Like I, I look at those and I, I always, I, I try to stop myself from rolling my eyes in cynicism because there's always, I've always found in those kinds of, there's something that makes me think, oh, I hadn't thought about it from that angle before. There's always something useful in it, but I think it's really important to step beyond generic advice yeah. And get into setting specific. Like, you know, I'm not a fan of the gumshoe system. However, Knights Black Agents does a good job. And a lot of that book is spent on communicating, like, what is a thriller? And how do how does thriller plot pacing and plot structure, how does it differ from, a, you know, some other kinds of stories? And how might you build a... Um, a vampire spy thriller. And so I, I appreciate that they took the time to really, really detail that stuff out. And I agree. Um, and, and perhaps that's where I left the world background section still feeling like I'm not really sure what this is about. And maybe that's silly. Like, cause again, I, I joke with people, like people get to like traveler players and I love traveler, but People get like way too serious about the crunchy bits of games and like wedding themselves to canon. I, I have to remind them like you, this is all made up anyway. Yeah. However, I get and I still understand that idea of like, listen, if I'm going to play Star Trek, I'm going to play. I want to play Star Trek. I'm not going to play like Root and Toot and Space Blasters like Star Wars in Star Trek. Go play Star Wars then. And if there's something unique and special about dishonored that's why i want to play it yeah. and it, and i i'm in the same place as you I, I came away from it thinking like i'm not really sure what the ingredients are to the special sauce yeah. that would make this special no, totally respect. it's it's got the exact same problem we've said about a bunch of other 2d20 games where there should be a section in this game that tells you what this is what you've just said but not in exact words what does a dishonored game look like in a dishonored game, you know, tells you how to run, how you run a scene. I know how to run a scene. What does a dishonored game look like? What is your average? There's a bunch of hooks in there, but the hook's an idea for a whole adventure. But what does that adventure look like? What are players meant to be doing? And it was the same criticism I had of Acting Cthulhu. Now, the difference in Acting Cthulhu was, even though the book didn't tell me what players were meant to be doing, there's soldiers and there's Cthulhu. The soldiers kill Cthulhu. I can right. work that out, even knowing nothing else. I can take those two, you know, the two words and put it together and go, right, there's Nazis, they're summoning demons, you're going to stop them. It's, it's, yeah. it's easy. And like I said, there, there should have been more help on the book, but I could run with that. It's, again, it's the same thing we've talked about a few times about Mutant Chronicles, that there was tons of books for Mutant Chronicles, and they did actually in some places give you an indication of what the players could be as a group, but I still struggle to go, oh, I'm still not quite sure what the players are doing or who they doing yeah. it for and it was confusing i never and had not the... just and not just uh like with mutant chronicles you could say well they're like they're fighting these monsters or they're fighting this other faction like, yeah, yeah 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 at the encounter level i get it it's at the adventure and campaign level yeah. that you're like i'm really and, and i'm i'm the same i'm the same with this like i get 
you might break in somewhere or have like a rooftop chase. You know, you know, there's like the chimney, you, 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 the chimney sweep jumps out and you have to run around him or, or something like that. I get that. But it's the it's the connective tissue that I'm I'm still lacking. I'll steal the um the tracks. Like I said, I think the tracks are interesting. I'm still thinking about this idea of styles redefined as truths. I don't know how else those could be used, but uh, but it's interesting. Um, but yeah, I don't I don't know I don't know what else I would uh, I would do with this. I mean, it's like oh, you, no. you've hinted at and I've hinted at. They are releasing a new book, which, as far as I know, is basically a GM's guide. But I'm going to say the exact same thing that I said about, that I said about um, Act and Cthulhu. Why do I have to buy a second GM's guide? Um, why should I, why am I going to put money into buying another book for two, for, you know, for Dishonored when I'm not, overly impressed with the original one yeah dishonored yeah. games master toolkit so it's got you know a bunch of counters it's got some charts it's got a like a pamphlet style book well here's a crazy idea put that stuff in the original book i don't want to i don't want to spend another 25 pounds so you know, god knows how much in dollars probably something stupid i don't want to spend more money when i'm not overly impressed with the with the original book um and that was the same kind of an issue, at least with Act Cthulhu. I bought it all as one bundle. Like, you know, I bought the right. GM screen and the player, you know, that came as one big bundle. And it just happened that stuff I felt should have been in the, you know, the, the well, Games Master's Guide was not. It came with the screen. But then I still had all of it. This is, I've had this book for, is it a year or is it two years now? It feels like a long time. I think it um, came out in 20. Yeah. So, you know, it's between a year and two years. I've had this stuff now. And now they're releasing a new book. Well, yeah yeah you know i yeah i'll just not i i'm happy with it i'm happy with it because like i said i i think that the um the powers are interesting and maybe i'll maybe i'll draw something from those structurally as i try to come up with some way to have a more traditional fantasy magic system i think that like i said i think the styles there's something interesting about them for me i'm not sure what i'm not I wouldn't use them as they are, but something. And then again, the um, the tracks. The tracks are interesting. So for that, it's you know I I I got it when they had the sale what last month or something like that. So I got it for dirt cheap and um, and I'm happy with it. Now I am curious though and a little concerned because Homeworld apparently is the same size as this book. Yeah. I believe that Homeworld is the same. Now, the Homeworld Quick Start, there's a lot more detail in there rules-wise. So I'm happy I'm happy with a little more of a crunchy system. Like Octum Cthulhu is 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 a real sweet spot for yeah. me for 2 die 20. And it seems like Homeworld is is like a space version of that. However, what I am a little concerned about now with this size book and the walking away from this and like i don't know what this world is about i'm curious about this whole home world thing yeah. like because i don't know doodle about home world now admittedly i would probably end up just using that system to power 
Like if I wanted to run Star Wars 2.20 and didn't feel like creating small ships, or if I wanted to do Traveler using better rules, I would just use that. So my interest in the home world setting is, is minimal because I know nothing about it. But I'm concerned now that if I get that, I still won't know anything about it because of this is a shorter presentation. There is less content in yeah. here. Um, how much how much description am I going to get about this video game property about which I know nothing? I mean, like I said, the, the thing that worries me, me more, you know, more than the background. Yes, I would like some background in the world because if there isn't background in the world, it's difficult to play in the world. I want stuff in the book that says this is what players are doing. Yeah, because you know that's Although, that's what's missing from those most recent ones is that there isn't a. It, it, it's, you know, they've released a bunch of books now where they do not make it clear what the players are doing. Yeah, so you and I differ on the Octun Cthulhu thing. I don't have a problem with that. I, I don't uh, because, like I said, it was easy enough yeah. based on what, they, what the world is to work out you know, right. what goes on. But I feel like they could have been, you know, there could have been lots more. Like you said, it's not about GM advice. The thing, though, with Homeworld that I'm... I'm optimistic about is that first off that that quick start now is long it's like 60 some odd pages the rules again are far less narrative they're less narrative than star trek adventures i felt like they were a lot closer to octun cthulhu in terms of the the amount of mechanical detail that's provided in the rules and for me taking taking a a um a science fiction setting that is focused on you know your science fiction style interpersonal action and like action scenes and the ships that the players are you or the characters are using tend to be smaller ships like something you'd see in traveler to me that's easy if i don't have a if i don't have a strong setting or a strong like sense of a setting i'll just i can plug that in elsewhere so i'm holding out hope and still hopeful for uh for homeworld um, I just like yeah. it to come out because <laughs> I feel like yeah, I, I think it's going to be this summer. I feel like I uh, sort of pre-ordered it like a really long time ago. Now you probably did. <laughs> um, you probably did. Well, well, any closing thoughts on Dishonored? I think we've hit everything. I mean, my sense is that if you know the, if you really know the 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 video game setting then you know and you know understand two die 20 and you're comfortable with a rules a rule set that leaves a lot of things ill-defined like this does there there are there's a lot open to interpretation in the way the rules are written then then you know you you'd be happy with it if you feel like taking rules that are open to interpretation and doing with them as you wish for the the, the foundation of something stealthy and you're willing to do the extra legwork yourself great so i was just thinking of this venn diagram where you've got people who are familiar with dishonored and people who understand the 2d20 system already and putting those two together and it's like it's like three people and one of them was the two people you know, two of them are the people that wrote this system um well but maybe you know what though maybe now Gumshoe tried to do this, um, and I couldn't make sense of it. They they wrote a um, Knights Black Agents solo ops, and it's it came out like two years ago or a year and a half ago, and it's meant to be one GM, one player. And like I said, I couldn't make heads or tails of it, uh, how it's supposed to to play. Maybe you could do that with this. 
And since there are only a couple of those people, well, then <laughs> yeah, I think like I said, I think if you know the Dishonored system, I'm not. I mean, on the plus side, this is sorry, the Dishonored computer. This is a very easy version of 2D20. I'm not sure it's explained like in super detail, but because it's missing loads of the nuts and bolts of other 2D20 systems, it doesn't need to be. I, I think if you, if certainly if you'd never played a computer game and came to this, I never played a role playing game and you came to this from the computer game, I, I think you would struggle. I think if you've played some 2D20, you understand the system worked and you've played Dishonored and you want to play it, I think, I think you'll be fine. But I think that is such a small pool of people. Um, I kind of find it hard to recommend. And if you're just, if those two don't cross over, so if you're, I'm a big fan of 2D20, I'm looking for a bunch of cool ideas. I do not think there's enough cool ideas in here to make it worth it. I mean, maybe just getting a PDF because um, there's a whole bunch of background in it, which if you've got no intention of playing in the Dishonored what setting, there's, there's, you know, don't, don't fall out. If you like Dishonored and happen to like 2D20, then even then for me, it's still a bit like, yeah. I mean, the only word I can use to describe that is, is disappointed. Like I said, I, when I got the PDF and I looked at it, I was a bit like, oh, and not just because the size of the book ruined and I knew it was going to ruin my shelf, which it does. That doesn't bother me as much. Um, yeah, just, it, the things I wanted it to do, it do, it does, it does, I do think it does Dishonored well, but I wanted to use it for more than just playing Dishonored, and it doesn't. And like I said, the GMs, the, the stuff that I feel should be in there, it just isn't in there for me. Yeah, and like I said, I bought I bought this as a as a toolbox, and as a uh, a hopeful source of ideas, not as a a game that I would run as it's written. There we have it. Thanks as always for listening. In our next episode, we're going to talk about the difference between one-offs, short story arcs, called them adventures, and campaigns, and the amount of planning and uh, story preparation players and GMs should expect for those, call it, three levels of story commitment. And remember, as always, you can reach us by email at fluffncrunch at tutanota.com. That's T-U-T-A-N-O-T-A dot com. And on our Facebook page. Thanks so much. Thank you so much for listening. You can visit our show's homepage at anchor.fm slash fluff and crunch. That's F-L-U-F-F-N-C-R-U-N-C-H. We would really appreciate feedback and reviews on whatever podcasting platform you're listening to this on. Thanks so much.